The Ram Dama's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 8 The Insurgency versus the Dominion. The men paid no attention to the warnings. They carried the long green tube directly over to the large metal doors. McGee squinted as he read the silver letters below Food Procurement Building. As they aligned the powerful weapon, they attempted to move the people away from the building. And from their position at the base of the building, they were occluded from the zoomer. Everyone was out of the way and they fired the bubble weapon. The impact was sudden and severe. Both doors were blasted from their housing, leaving a jagged stone-lined hole. The leaders ran through the smoke and into the building. Within minutes, more people returned to the area and formed a human chain into the locust, funneling red-wrapped packages of food out into the locust. A few miles away from the locust, high above the lights below, a Silver Zone commander, having authority over every sector, gazed down at his monitor screen. He was a brutal-looking zone. His face inside of his neck and shoulder had been injured in some past incident. The resulting fusion left him with an ominous scar, a constant reminder to his opponents of his belligerent and unyielding attitude. He could see very well what was happening in Sector 25. In fact, the pillaging was driving him into a rage. Incensed, he pushed a button that allowed him to come over the multi-edge screen above the locust. This is Commander Carroll. Zoomers are less than five minutes away from your sector. He yelled, his voice quivering in anger. People were horrified as they looked up at his ugly image. McGee could see them leaving for the side road, separating the locust building. Stop this disgraceful and unethical behavior. Return to your huts and maintain order. Stealing Dominion property is an act that will surely be out of order. Is it really worth all of your lives? McGee, like the people below, could hear the low, oscillating zoomer sound. He looked to his right, past the locusts and over the hills. Red flashing lights along the hulls marked the swift-moving approach of the zoomers. From the underside, the powerful spotlight beams shined downward over the fleeing people and the thousands of closely packed dwellings below. They began the counterattack, firing directly at the people. High-powered weapons lit the night sky, and energy bubbles much more powerful than the ones fired in the locusts ripped out over the countryside, impacting against random targets. Fires were breaking out all over the sector. McGee, aside from just being frightened, tried to figure out this strange system. He did not have long to think about anything. He could see the zoomers landing all over the building top. It was time to run once again. But where could he go? He looked over the edge and jumping ten stories to the stone-covered surface was not a promising prospect. He turned and squinted back across the roof toward the supports where he had first awakened. His resilience amazed him as he ran. He could not begin to figure it all out. He made it back to the arch just as a zoomer landed up front. Red zones poured out fortifying positions along the wall, the wall where he had been standing less than a minute before. A white zone commander walked from the zoomer as the red zones lined up. He gave the order and they fired on the remaining people inside the locust. McGee ran along the support arch. He knew they would be searching the roof very soon. There was no other choice. He would have to climb down the arch itself. Precariously, as he looked over the edge, he reached upward and grasped the stone edge. 
He held on tightly as he swung out ten stories above the other buildings below. Hand over hand, he started down the low-angled arch. By the time he reached the lower buildings, he was in severe pain. He had made his way to the edge, but there was some commotion in the alleyway below. The dark-haired man, one of the leaders from the Locust, was trapped between two zones. Get him. He is a sector leader. Shouted the zone to the right as they closed in. Go ahead, yelled the large-framed man. Kill me, you inhuman machine. We are not machines, said the Red Zome as he walked up to him with his tiny thimble-sized weapon drawn. Your identity, man. We saw you in the Locust leading the others. Reluctantly, because he really had no choice, the man held out his arm. There was a small metallic strip on his wrist with millions of bits stored for retrieval. The Zome put his lengthy finger onto the strip and the information shot into his own memory. Ah, you are Aaron of this sector. You work in the oil storage. All right. You know who I am? Why prolong it? Do what you have to do. You will be brought to the control sector. You do not die during questioning. You will be released. Some choice, said Aaron. He pushed the weapon right against Aaron's backbone. Move forward. We will return to the Zoomer. This, my friend, is the beginning of the end for you and your beloved insurgency. McGee was astounded. He could not stand by and watch this man, a man so brave, be taken off to his death. Perhaps he was ready to risk his own life because he had so little to live for, and because he had no idea where he was or what was happening to him in this strange land. He braced himself and waited for them to pass below. Then he leaped through the air, moving the 15 or so feet downward and aiming his boot heels at the first zone's skull. The impact was severe. It emitted high-pitched wails as sparks flew out of a jelly-like substance in his skull. And it fell to the pavement as and the other zone seemed baffled, stunned just long enough for the sector leader to attack. He wrestled the stronger zone with all his strength, but the zone had broken his grip and smashed the leader across the head. He fell back to the ground. The Zome raised his weapon to finish him off. From the other side of the alley, however, blue light moved swiftly toward the Zome. Its stomach erupted in a bright flash, which, in, as it was vaporized from view, its stomach erupted in a bright flash as it was vaporized from view. McGee looked down at the tiny weapon he had just fired. The sector leader's life had been spared. He rushed over to the dark-haired man. There was a very tough-looking gash on his brow, swelling over his eyes. You, you saved my life, he said, smiling through the pain. I have to get you to a doctor, McGee told him as he studied the gash. Really, a doctor should look at that cut. Doctor, smiled the man again, an old word. Old word? If you mean I should be taken to a repair center. Can you walk, asked McGee as he reached down and extended his hand. I don't know if I can, he said, trying to get up. But McGee had to lift him upward. The man was very weak. He braced his shoulder under the larger man's arm. U-S-S-U-S-S-A. What does that mean? He asked, running his finger over the SRT emblem. That's not important now. How can I get you to this repair place? The main road, he said, trying to point ahead. Back to the main road, the village. The two men hobbled forward. McGee gazed upward as they moved down the alleyway. The nearby gray buildings were constructed of the same stone as the towering locusts above. 
with no windows or openings. And ahead, he could see the outlines of a road with people running. And then he looked up at the larger man, trying to walk on his own accord. There was something inside this man that refused to accept defeat. The back paths off the main road. We have to take them away from the zones, he said as they neared the outer roadway. Just show me where, said McGee. The long section of stone buildings continued along the side of the main road. Behind them, McGee could see the road leading directly under the archway th through the thick locust walls. Most people had cleared out and were running farther down the main road. The road changed abruptly up ahead. A few hundred yards away from the locust, the smaller stone buildings ended and the stone pavement turned to dirt. A white wall separated the prodigious electrical towers from the dirt roadway. Hundreds of thick wires, lines, and transformers interconnected as far as the eye could see into a clearing of a very tall forest. Where do we go? In the woods? McGee asked him. Why do you have a sensor-breaking device? Device? asked McGee. We have to go over there, he said, pointing in pain toward a hill in the distance. The white wall ended and the forest moved inland. As the hill sloped upward, densely packed homes were coming into view. None were more than two stories high and composed of lightly colored and rough cement. Window frames were wide open and most lights were now being turned out because of the attack. In fact, the fires burned out of control in the hills and above, zoomers were all over the sky now, shining their spotlights down into the village. The man looked toward the sky. We must hurry, hurry, he said as he pointed to one of the side dirt pathways between the huts. McGee helped him over around one of the huts and into the back roadway. Large rusted pipes surrounding a central pipe core rose out of the dirt and down the length of the pathway. And above, more electrical wires were suspended from metal towers. They moved forward in the relative darkness along the hillside. Your name is Aaron. Is that what the zone called you? Yes. He read my identity band. He said, still wincing. We got through. Food was brought out. No, no, don't talk. I'll get you to the repair center. Don't talk. The batted Aaron pointed McGee in the general direction of the repair center. They crossed through more poorly lit alleyways. Besides the never-ending electrical lines above the ground, McGee could smell the stench of uncollected garbage. From the darkened huts, he could sense the tremendous fear and deprivation. It was a land of uncertainty with little hope for change. Aaron was weakening. They were on the main road traveling through the agricultural fields. Ahead, the land sloped upward toward another village. Aaron pointed toward two circular tanks at the top of the slope. Repair center next to water tanks. We have, we have. The sector leader's knees grew wobbly and he fell over. Aaron, Aaron, called McGee as he looked at the half-conscious man. McGee was now indecisive and frightened. All around him, back toward the locusts, he could hear the zoomers with their spotlights scurrying the ground and bombs were still exploding in some of the villages. He had to act despite his feelings. Taking a deep breath, he bent over and maneuvered the larger man over his shoulders into a fireman's carry. With Aaron's blood on his arms, he began the slow trudge up the hill toward the tanks. He rested several times, his muscles aching as he made his way up the slope. The village had been hit by Zoomer fire. On both sides of the roadway ahead, Men were working water hoses already connected above to the ground pipes. As he came closer, he could see the smoldering remains of several huts 
People were all working together, helping the injured over to the repair center. McGee practically collapsed as he reached the top of the hill. Many people in the same bright clothing came running over to them. I'm all right, I'm all right, he said, shaking his head. Aaron, Aaron, how was Aaron injured? Asked one of the men as he helped lift the larger man into the air. Zomes, answered McGee. They were going to take him prisoner. Then we must hurry, said the other man. I am Caston, and you? I am McGee, he said as they moved toward what looked like a subway entrance. The entrance was surrounded by the same stone material used inside the locust. As they entered, however, McGee could see a vast difference. These people had painted the stone, bright pastels even on the floor. They carried Aaron down the adjacent stairway and underground to a lower section. Guards let them pass immediately through the swinging blue doors. Inside was a long ward, painted with bright green, at least 50 white frame beds. They brought Aaron to one of the beds. An army of trained personnel, clad in green clothes, descended upon him. McGee studied their actions. The technology was very comparable to the turn of the 21st century. Blood plasma was piped into their veins and they jabbed a number of needles into his side, probably antibiotics. Then more people wheeled a monitoring machine up to his body. Looks positive, said the man in charge. The man who had helped bring Aaron inside turned to McGee. He was a short man with receding hairline and a thick brown beard. I have known Aaron since childhood he said, gazing at the monitor. He has always stood up for what is right. I saw him doing just that inside the locust, said McGee, a brave man. We lost him when the attack began. You say the Zomes attacked him? In the alleyway, behind the locust. I was able to leap down on the first one, but the other one hit Aaron before I could fire the weapon. And you saved his life, said another man as he came forward. They were going to take him away for questioning, said McGee, as other people gathered around. I would think that amounts to a certain death. We are indebted to you. Aaron is an important leader, said the bearded man. I just did what I had to do, answered McGee as they continued to stare at him. Your clothing. Your clothing. It makes no sense, said another man. My clothing? asked McGee, trying to think quickly. To confuse the Zomes, of course. None of them were entirely convinced, however, and McGee could sense it. I hope, despite your brave act, you are not a Zome talker. Zome talkers are subject to trial and execution, if found guilty. Executed? I know nothing about the Zomes, said McGee, as he grew increasingly uneasy. It was only the presence of a young teenage boy at the doorway that had stopped the inquiry. Caston! Caston! he called. The bearded man turned away from McGee. Yes, you have news, he asked the boy. Lockle has sent us throughout this sector. The Zomes have completely sealed off the locusts. Are there basin people inside? No, everyone has left, but Larko fears the Zomes may be preparing to advance on the sector. Zomes in the neighborhood? This is unheard of. We will not stand by and let this happen, said Caston. Isn't it enough? To have to work under them? asked another man. To have them here is unacceptable. We'll gather all the men. Fifteen minutes at the tanks. Yes, Caston, said the boy as he looked at Aaron. Will he live? One of the repair center people turned toward him. 
Readings are coming back to normal. He will be just fine. I think we got him just in time before there was any serious damage. Let us hope there'll be no more casualties, said Caston, looking around the room at the basin people stricken down by the zones. We deserve better than this. McGee, agreeing with him thoroughly, was nevertheless extremely nervous. How would he explain himself, his past, his ignorance of the present, and all these people were living in the densely packed huts, controlled by these strange zone creatures. My brother! My brother! cried a young woman from the entrance. Her long black hair flew around her shoulders as she ran along the beds. My brother! He is all right, Darka, said Caston as he held her. He was attacked by some zones, but he will be all right. Just let me see him, she said, her bright blue eyes obviously in a state of shock. Come with me, said Caston as he led her down to the bed. Oh, Aaron, she said, crying and moving up to her brother. The large framed man lay unconscious. She kept her hand away from the bandages and ran her fingers down his cheek. He risked his life tonight, Daka, said Caston. Risked his life for what? She asked through her tears. For your damned insurgency? For fighting against the Dominion? Against things that you can never change? Daka, you are upset, said Caston, pulling her back. We are just lucky enough to have Aaron alive. This man, McGee, saved his life, risking his own life. Daka turned slowly, staring at the blonde-haired McGee. She tried to compose herself, knowing that despite the deep disagreement with her brother's philosophy, there were deeper values they both shared. My name is Daka, she said, extending her hand to McGee. McGee could see that the years of basin life had been carved into her young face. He could not exactly explain it. It was something he had never known, a perpetual acceptance of the way things are. I am most grateful to you. Your brother needed help. Said, confessed McGee as he squeezed her tiny hand. But you gave it to him. Even though I am against fighting, I admire bravery. My parents will be here soon. Perhaps we will show our thanks. Well, I really have to be going. Of course. The insurgency defense of the village it is all so fruitless. Don't they realize that the food will come sooner or later? It always does. Confronting the zones she said, looking at her brother, can only lead to more suffering. Looks like you don't share this insurgency's goals. I don't, she said emphatically. The Dominion has its problems, but that's just the way life is. Everyone has to learn to cope with life, not cause trouble. You sound pretty negative, said McGee, looking around the room. He knew he'd have to leave as soon as possible, before they started asking him more questions. What is that emblem? on your... Oh, just a ship. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to leave, Daka. S-R-T. That is very much out of order. Yes, out of order, he said as he looked at her. Well, goodbye. Glad your brother's going to be all right. She watched him move down the ward toward the swinging doors. He walked very slowly up the stairs as to not arouse any undue suspicion. The night air was cool and moist and he stepped back on the dirt road next to the tanks. All across the basin he could see thousands of blazing lights from those huts not under attack. But as he moved closer to the crest of the hill, he had no idea where he would go or what he would do. He, or what he would do. He was in the land of strangers, 
with nowhere to turn and absolutely no means to survive. Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ramdamas Kingdom, produced by Fitton Theater of the Words.